every single other coach on the sideline is motivating enough to where you don't need a hype man on the sideline. No, this is the guy that's with them all summer. He's with them more than more than the coaches are. Like he's the guy they go to look for. And then it comes to the fourth quarter. It's like, hey, remember what we trained for all offseason? Like that is his role. Like the other coaches are gonna tell you all the X's and O's. They might tell you like, you're trash. But then that guy comes over there, he's like, hey man, hey, you're gonna be all right. Hey, get back to work. You know what you're supposed to do. Kind right. of the cliches. What's up and welcome into the lead block. Happy Friday, everybody. My name is Tyler Walters, and I'm alongside Matthew Anderson. Matthew, how you doing today? I'm doing a word that's more than great, so I don't know it, but just know I'm doing that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to hear. All right, got a lot of things uh, to talk about today, so we'll jump right in with, uh, I think, the biggest news in the SEC football, probably the college football landscape this week. Um, Scott Cochran. Alabama's strength and conditioning coach. He's been there, what, since Saban got there, right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, he has won all of Nick Saban's national championship staffs, including back at LSU in 2003 as an assistant. Okay. Yeah, so he's the only guy that's been with Saban during the entire Saban era at Alabama. I think he's the only one that's joined and not left, um, or that's been in their extended period of time. I mean, you've got guys that are there now that have been there for like two seasons, but basically everyone just floods out. Yep. Uh, he Kirby snagged him. Kirby tried to take him a couple years ago, or I guess four years ago now. When he Doesn't first got like the job one. at Georgia. Yeah, at, at Georgia. So I guess we'll start with your thoughts on it because I, I'm I think mine might differ from you. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I remember the Saban and Belichick, Belichick okay, uh, that's thing. That's where I was going. There yeah, too. he said that he's like he doesn't mind assistants going different places, but he's like, please don't steal my guys. Now with this situation, it could be a little bit different because it was noted that Alabama didn't have any openings for any other positions on the staff for him. So that is another thing. So that's why he went to Georgia, where there was an opening for him so to be other than. Coming, they're taking him at Georgia as the special teams coach. right? Yeah, yeah, and so it's like uh, Alabama. I don't know if Nick Saban has said this, but people around uh, Nick Saban were saying like. We don't have any roles for you right now other than the special teams guy. So I guess you just the, go to the fitness guy at Alabama. Yeah. So there's a strength and fitness guy at Alabama. Then moving to Georgia as the special teams coach. Yeah. Uh, I don't think special teams coordinator. I did it like that is the biggest BS title to me. There is never, ever, ever, ever do you hear about a, a strength and fitness coach moving to an actual position coach to coach football on the field, X's and O's. So I call BS on his title at Georgia. And then on top of that, I go back to, you know, what you just brought up with the uh, – what, what was that thing? What was the art of coaching? Yeah. With Saban and Belichick. I and mean, we talked about it. It released beginning of December on HBO. Great. If um, you haven't gone seen it, go check it out. Yeah, it's incredible. But the, basically what you brought up, there's like a five-minute conversation that Belichick and Saban have in that doc where they both talk about, you know, like when we have people who rise up under our wing, like a Kirby Smart or Matt Patricia, and they go off to coach other things, other teams, I'm very happy for them that I was able, you know, to help them out and that they were proving themselves uh, well enough to A, stay with me, but B, like good enough in other people's eyes to go somewhere else. But if you do that, don't poach my recruits. Don't poach my coaches. Like, don't come try to take everything else that I've built yeah. and tear it down because you feel entitled to that. So, like, I, I know that Nick Saban's pissed about this. I mean, I'm sure he's been pissed about it for the last four years because I know he knew about it uh, when Kirby initially tried to take Cochran with him yeah. to Georgia. 
Because uh, that's exactly what he says. He hates what happens. And yeah. it's like, why? And then that guy being like, not the life and blood of the Alabama program, but with him being like. He's, uh, just, he's been a staple there for a while. Yeah, there he's, you go. The, he's a constant, like, what's it? He's the only other constant with Saban at Alabama. Like, I think it's just a scumbag move from Kirby because he, <laughs> he knows exactly how Nick Saban feels about this whole situation. Yeah. So he can't tell you that he doesn't because he was with Saban for a long time. The only reason that Kirby Smart is at Georgia is because of Nick Saban. Now, you could say he could have went somewhere else and would have been, you know, as successful or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't buy that he would be as successful anywhere else. He would probably be a success somewhere else, like as a defensive coordinator before he got to Georgia. But as successful, no. Uh, I don't buy that. And then now you go back, like, you know exactly how Saban feels about this. And you go back and you strip him of, you know, his, his one, his other constant. And you take him to Georgia and just throw a fancy title on him. Like, I don't buy the fact that Cochran is going to be coaching special teams X's and O's every day. Um, And if he does, I don't know how good of an idea that is considering he's a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, But the bigger thing for me here is, like, over all this, like, the poaching coaches and all of that and Kirby being a scumbag is that it's a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. Like, why do why do we care? Like, <laughs> I don't get why anyone is so wound up. Like, Alabama fans are really upset about it. Georgia fans are, you know, rubbing it in Alabama's faces. It doesn't matter because Kirby Smart is never going to beat Nick Saban. Like, it's not going to happen. Are you always going to happen? I'm in the full swing now over the last, like, I don't know, four or five months. I've just fully swung to the thing where I don't think Kirby Smart can do it. I don't think he has it in him. And then I heard, to I think yesterday, today, that this is uh, the biggest loss that Nick Saban has ever suffered, which is BS because Kirby Smart would be the biggest loss that Saban has ever suffered because Kirby Smart helped him create a dynasty on the defensive side of the football. But Kirby, I don't think Kirby could do it on his own. Like I, I just don't think he can do it. He has just proven over the last you know two years with his – quarterback Jake Fromm that couldn't progress to me like he doesn't show enough signs as a head coach to be able to let his quarterback and offense grow uh that his defense can keep like keeping them right above the water like keeping them on that because for the last four years Kirby's defense has kept them uh in in the game like they're the reason their defense is the reason they're going to uh college football playoffs or SEC championships or whatever and yeah he had like from freshman year, he was really good, and he was really good quarterback that year. But, like, from there, he just dipped. And, I mean, it's not to compare it to Muschamp because Kirby's been ten times more successful, but it's not dissimilar to kind of what happened in South Carolina with, with Jake Bentley. Like, you have a freshman quarterback, comes out, has a great year, and then, like, it just doesn't get any better. But the difference being here at South Carolina, the defense wasn't as elite as Georgia's is and couldn't get them, you know, into the college ball play. Couldn't even get them, like, nine wins. Yeah. So – it's, I mean, it's to a much like higher level of play at Georgia, but my thing is, I don't, I just don't think Kirby's ever going to do it at Georgia, and Georgia fans like keep buying into to what Kirby's telling them, and credit to them. I mean, I probably would be too if I was a Georgia fan, but you've kind of seen like what Kirby can do as far as getting you there, but I don't. Kirby doesn't have anything that makes him special to me to where he's going to win a national championship. There's what, how many coaches in college football who are currently coaching won a national championship? I think five, right? So, well, Urban's out. Saban, Dabo, uh, Edo. Um, Jimbo. And, yep, Jimbo. And there's one more out there that I'm, I'm missing off the top of my head. Best Miles on, isn't it? Uh, 
Yes. No. No. He no, a, they lost yeah. to Florida State. Yeah. God, I was thinking that. Um, yeah, he won Chiswick, but no, active head coach. Yeah, that's I Chiswick. That's, yeah, that's I Chiswick. think that's it. Uh, so, like, to me, I just don't see Kirby, like, in that group because he doesn't, like, he's not like a Dabo where he's, or an Edo where he's developed into saying, like, all right, I can do this one thing very well, and I'm going to let you, coordinator, do this. Like, Dabo's is, I can recruit, and I can sell our message very well, and I can kind of lead our team. CEO operations, like that. yeah. Yeah, but, but X's and O's, you know, you do this, you do this. Venables has got our defense, and, you know, Tony Elliott's offense. Um, and, like, that's what Coach O has done at Alabama, or LSU, this past year. You know, he's like, all right, well, I can't really do the offense. Y'all just do that. And I'll worry about the stuff that I can teach and I'll work with our defensive coordinator and we'll, and I'll lead and I'll be our motivator and I will sell our team to our fans and y'all will do the X's and O's like Kirby. I don't think can disconnect. Like he can't, he still has that control where he doesn't want to fully disconnect from his offense, yeah. which is fair. I mean, that's how coaching has been done for forever until until Dabo Sweeney basically right right and and it's just I don't I don't see him ever changing that to an extent to where it's gonna get Georgia a national championship I would feel like I feel like he'll at least get one there whether it be going throughout well I guess they would have to go through Alabama probably to win the SEC championship but I I expect him to at least win one there I think one of the reasons that Scott like a lot of people see that Scott Cochran lost such a big one there is because like a lot of times you don't really know anything about the strength and conditioning coach at most of these schools, but at Alabama, a lot of times whenever you see film of them, you see that guy being a prominent guy. You hear about how much players talk about him. So it's like he's he's the opposite of out of sight, out of mind. He's always there. And so it's like, okay, this guy's a really big deal. So it'll be interesting to see who Alabama brings in next to man the role. They have the uh, top-of-the-line facilities, so I'm sure it'll be bringing in somebody else. As Dabo Sweeney said, if you're getting surprised in this business, then you're probably a little bit late. So I'm sure Alabama uh, – Nick Saban's already identified some guys to come and take over, at least the interview. And so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I was thinking how it's going, how this affects Scott Sinclair's job as a strength conditioning coach. Because, like, Scott, Scott Cochran is, like, one of the best ones in the country, probably in the world, at coaching strength and conditioning. So now he goes over to Scott Sinclair, who had just come from Marshall, and it's like, hey, like, give him a little pointers here and there. And it's like, but don't mess up because this this guy was been how could, how did he put it? I've been turning great good cars into great cars for a long time. So if Scott Sinclair slips up, he might be out of a job. See, I also don't know if I fully buy into Alabama's strength and conditioning. I can't what fully buy into Alabama's anything as far as coaching ability other than X's and O's because you are already getting the absolute cream of the crop guys who are motivated because. They are only at Alabama because they are motivated. Yeah. And if they aren't, Nick Saban's going to point them out first thing in the practice field. Like, first practice. Like, you know who's starting and you know who's not. He does, for sure. Like, so, I don't think – I think to be a special – like, a coach at a lower-level school where you're getting three and four-star – I mean, this is kind of a different argument where you're getting, like, some mostly three-star guys and some maybe some four-stars and occasionally every now and then a five-star. Like, I think those guys who have success with those recruits – are far better coaches, but since Nick Saban's got to Alabama, like they've had nothing but the best recruits in the country every single year. Yeah. So I can't like I don't want to take anything away from Cochran, but like I just like I'll say one more thing on strength and conditioning coaches to kind of wrap this up. We've we are now uh like in the world of college football putting a lot of pressure on strength and conditioning coaches and it's kind of come out of nowhere. Um like 
and I mean pressures and like views, eyes. We're putting a lot of eyes on them. Yeah. Uh, I saw a little. I saw a tweet during football season from some local reporter here in Columbia. Uh, I think a local investigative journalist, and, and he has ties to the university. I think he graduated from the University of South Carolina. Uh, so he's a Gamecock fan. I see him tweeting like, "Why are we seeing our strength and conditioning coach?" Like, why is he the only one we keep seeing on the sideline? Like, why is he even there? Yeah. And I can't not disagree with that because if you're a strength and conditioning coach, like, I know your job goes a little further than the gym, but I don't, like, as a coach, like, as a head football coach, I would take that as a distraction on my sideline. Wait, but where like, would you have him at then if I, he's not on like, the sideline? It, I don't I don't know. Stick him in a booth. Tell him to shut up. Tell him to hand no, out. No, he's like, the motivating guy. He's like, with see, these I don't guys. Think, I just don't, I don't fully buy into that because I think – Every single other coach on the sideline is motivating enough to where you don't need a hype man on the sideline. No, this is the guy that's with them all summer. He's with them more than more than the coaches are. Like he's the guy they go to look for. And then he comes to the fourth quarter. It's like, hey, remember what we trained for all offseason? Like that is his role. Like the other coaches are gonna tell you all the X's and O's. They might tell you like, you're trash. But then that guy comes over there, he's like, Hey man, hey, you're gonna be all right. Hey, get back to work. You know what you're supposed to do. All kind right. of the cliches. Yeah, I see I see like what you mean there, but also like him like our the previous Dillman, Dillman here in yeah, South yeah. Carolina holding on a must champ shirt for every play call game. <laughs> he doesn't need to be like the pullback. And he's coach. not he's not a holdback guy. Like Muschamp doesn't really need that. He, yeah. Like he'll get outrageous, but he pretty much stays on the sideline. Like we don't need to see you like you don't need to be up Muschamp's nose. Like get it for, as, from my perspective, if I was a college football head coach, that would drive me insane. Especially probably whenever they're in those high in like those high intensity situations. Yeah, usually for the most part, those guys are kind of far away unless you have a need to get back coach like Brent Venables does. But yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not like I know strength and conditioning is important. Like it's the base of your program, and therefore strength and conditioning coach isn't is important because he would be the base of your program. But as far as like treating strength and conditioning coaches all of a sudden like they're offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators, that to me is just asinine. Like. For someone to come out and say that this is Alabama's biggest loss as far as coaching since Nick Saban's been there yeah. is ridiculous. Because if Kirby was still there, they would have already they would have won more national titles. Like Clemson probably never would have won. Right. Like I, I like I don't know how you could argue that. That what they had going at Alabama had Kirby stayed, like they would have won for the next fifty five years. And when Saban left, Kirby would have taken over and they would have just kept going. And, and like I don't I don't see how you can say that Scott Cochran is equal, him leaving Alabama is greater than Kirby leaving Alabama. Like yeah. That to me is, is crazy. I think most people kind of just kind of consider him as a life and blood, but I don't think people really compare him to Kirby because like, if you look at the logistics of the Kirby one, there's definitely a greater impact. I, was, I mean, I would say this. Incoming freshman in Alabama, their strength and conditioning coach, probably not going to weigh their opinion on coming to Alabama. And it doesn't matter who coaches at Alabama, like strength and conditioning. Because Saban will get who he wants. He'll have the next best guy. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter. That's, right. that's what I said. Like, you can, like, as far as getting in the gym, there's stuff is constantly changing in, in the gym world and what we know uh, as humans. Like, it, that's constantly changing. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. I guess it, the only time it comes to be a big deal is, like, in the case with Dillman, wherever we have a lot of injuries and stuff like that. Yeah. And in that case, it's like, yeah. The, Which we come to talk, like, when we talked with Cedric, uh, Cedric Malone the other week, he was, you know, he didn't put a lot of pressure on, on Dillman himself. He was like, well, I mean, that's kind of above his head. Like they're doing different things and they're practicing like crazy. So 
now, you know, when we look, like, after talking to him, uh, I don't know if you felt this, but, like, when I'm looking back on it in December and, and like, I was saying, you know, you see all these injuries that has to have some correlation to the strength and conditioning coach, and he sits in here and says, well, I don't really know how much you can put on the strength and conditioning coach. Like, yeah, he's going to be the fall guy, but, like, that, that kind of goes above his head as far as, like, constant wear and tear on the body. Like, the coach wants to practice in full pads five days a week. Like, obviously, that's going to affect their strength and yeah. conditioning. So, like, I, I just I – don't, I, don't, I don't completely buy into the strength and conditioning program being the number one thing at a university. I, I think there's far bigger factors in the world of what product you put on the field Saturdays to win. Um, but we'll move on from that. We were on that for too long. But uh, spring practice started in Columbia this week. Started, you know, across college football. Uh, I don't – Are do you – are you hyped up about football now that spring practice is starting? It seems like it's kind of early this year. Uh, usually, I feel like I have a little bit more time. Yeah, and baseball it's, just started two weeks ago. Yeah, and it's like oh, spring practice. Like, wait, don't we have like a whole nother month now? I do think USC does their spring practice a little bit earlier than most places. I think Muschamp says he likes it for recruiting purposes because he doesn't really have to fight with anybody else for the spring game generally. But uh, a couple things to note: Dak Joyner is officially a full-time wide receiver. So that's super exciting. Uh, they're looking for, I mean, I think you know this from listening. If you've been listening to Muschamp's uh, post, what is it? Pressers. Press, yeah, pressers. But uh, they're looking to replace Donnell Staley, uh, yeah. which is going to be big for a center. The whole offensive line has to improve, though, because if you get pushed around by Appalachian State, it's like we, we there's a lot of things we need to work here. And I think Muschamp has already said it. Every job is open. But I think he says that every year. Uh, did you hear – this is – no, we'll, talk, we'll stay on this for a second – one thing, I'm looking to see who emerges from the wide receiver core because I'm assuming Shai Smith is going to be the number one guy. I'm assuming because he's been catching the pass. He's they the need most an edge guy. Yeah. Uh, I think they're going to have to look at some of the freshmen they brought in because Shai's just not – like he's just not – I mean, it's not his fault. He's just not big enough to catch a goal on fate. That's what he's I was thinking. Not. It's like, do you move him to the outside? Is he that kind of guy where he could be well, – like, nah, he's like 5'10", right? Yeah, he's he's not the biggest guy in the world. So we're going to see who steps up in there. Because they have the big guys. you got Chad Terrell. You have Xavier Leggett. You have Ortre Smith. And then mm-hmm. these guys are healthy. So one of those, and then obviously whenever uh, tight end Nick Muse gets back, when he returns, he'll be a big assistant yeah. as long as he can be consistent with catching the ball. And then did you hear about uh, offensive tackle Dylan Wanham, who has had hip surgery following the season due to a growth issue? No, I and, didn't uh, about Yeah, well. his hip bone grew inward. According to Must Champ, some genetic type stuff. But anyway, so he's out. That's also been that, big that for could the be a full year minimum. Yeah, because he because he's a big portion of that offensive line. He played as a freshman, and uh, I heard whenever he used to go in the drills, like the uh, Oklahoma, not Oklahoma, but like the blocking drills with uh, Dylan Wanham, he actually held his own. I'm not with Dylan, but what is his older DJ. brother DJ Wanham? He used to hold his own, so that's major for the offensive line. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Like first thing, like I'll say this is. That the the stuff you listed is all you should look for as a fan, um, and like even if you're in media out of spring practice, it's like okay, like let's get an injury report. Let's just see who they're looking at. But like, I don't. There was like a huge push on Twitter this week for spring practice starting. Like oh, like people going crazy. Like I don't. That just it just doesn't do it for me. Like I don't like. I get people love football. Maybe I'm just I'm probably just by myself on this one. But, which is fine. Like, I just want to see if Holinsky's wearing a knee brace or knee sleeve or, you know, anything on his arm. He wasn't. Uh, Doty wasn't as well. Saw Doty throwing the ball. Um, but to me, how you throw the ball, like, in a warm-up drill at practice 
for the 15 minute media got 15 minutes yeah, yeah. to go record. A lot of his special teams are stretching. And they would have shown nothing. Like yeah. Muschamp just specifically designs that 15 minutes <laughs> so he can, you know, say, all right, no one's wearing a brace. So we don't know if after they left, if everyone slapped on a knee brace or arm sleeve or <laughs> whatever, whatever it may be. Like, we have no idea. Um, but, like, it's just, I think we're hyping it up a little too much, but I don't know, that's just kind of how sports work now is like everything is overhyped because it you want that immediate attention like if you're a media member uh a member of you know the football team or whatever like you want all the attention all eyes on you um and it's a constant competition to get all eyes on you versus your opponents so like i kind of get why they try to make a big deal about it but like for me it just doesn't really do it like i'm not any more excited about football than i was a, like a week ago like i never really watched the spring games like, I'll check in occasionally. I'll read an article to see how which quarterback did. But, like, Ryan Linsky had a great spring game last year, and then he had a very, like, very, very mediocre season as a freshman quarterback in the SEC. So, it, to me, like, all of this, the inner squad stuff, like, it doesn't show you anything other than injury updates and who they're trying at what position. That stuff is important. But just wake me up in August. Like, I won't, like, I haven't, you will have no clue how good or bad this football team is until they step on the field at the end of August. Yeah. And I, I don't want to, like, I think it gets fans hyped up every year, but I think if you're South Carolina fans, like, you're realistically looking at, I don't know, four and eight, five and seven I was again. just about to say, so, I think to a lot of South Carolina fans, too, it's like, okay, what are we doing this year? Like, it's like, it'd be one thing if you're coming off of a super promising last year. And then also because the XFL and then it seems like the LSU thing never ended. It's like football just continued. Yeah. It's like there's never really been a break. Like, we're just like. I'm far more intrigued by the draft than I am anything yeah. spring happening in college football. Like, spring in college football just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what, there's one last thing I was about to. I can't think of it. I'll talk about Javon Kinlaw real quick. He's getting I was of, just about to. Okay, I was is that just, where you were going? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, so Kinlaw is getting, getting a lot, a lot of attention uh, with the draft, and I'm constantly seeing more and more every day, top 10 pick, top 10 pick, top 10 pick. Yeah. So <laughs> that's good for Kinlaw. Um, it's good for South Carolina because now you can say, all right, well, this dude, like, relatively, like, media, big world and space media-wise – no one talked about Kinlaw really until this past year. Yeah. And it was just a few like spurts here and there until the senior bowl and every NFL scout saw him and were like, oh crap, like he's really good. So which I mean, which happens when your football team's four and eight. Like it, it just you fall through the cracks if you're a really good player. Uh but yeah, it's I mean it's good for him. Like he's has a really inspiring story. I'm sure if you're a South Carolina friend, you've heard about it time and time again. I won't repeat it here. It's it's out there if you just look up Ken Law's story or whatever. Um, but, yeah, he's been mentioned time and time again. Pro Football Focus is rating him crazy high as far as the other interior defensive linemen in the draft. Like, he's the number one interior defensive lineman. So, you're looking at – Is he is he ranked higher than the guy from Auburn? Uh, Big five? Yeah, right now, yeah. Uh, Derek Brown, yeah. is that his name? I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's – um, Actually, I have his name right here somewhere. Where's my little list? Yeah, Derek Brown. Uh, but yeah, for everything that I've seen, like I haven't seen a lot about Derek Brown, who I thought was going to be right up there, you know, with Chase Young in the top eight picks or so. Yeah. Uh, from what you see and read about all season long, Ken Law has really emerged in the last two and a half months. 
Um, and then I think throughout the year, you kept seeing sprinkles of potential. Oh, Marlon Davidson's also the big guy from uh, Auburn. He's number three. Okay. He'll be in there. But, yeah, uh, you kept seeing sprinkles of and You'd hear about him a little bit here and there. But then, obviously, after watching uh, him, like, power over the guys from Georgia. And then there's a lot of potential there. So, okay, well, he might be something. You know, a lot of times they draft based – I think you always draft off potential. Uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up. Did you hear what he said about the coaching thing? What? That's that's what I thought you were going to talk about. What's that? Kimball went on and said, um, I have it right here. Once I get the right coach in the sky's the limit. And once he said that's, that, it got a lot of people. But I had I had always No, heard, I didn't hear that. Yeah, that's I had heard a lot of sprinkles like from people just saying like uh him and that Johnson, I think the guy's name is Lane, if I'm not mistaken. The defensive line coach before this yes. one, they had a lot of the players kind of felt like he kind of they kind of ran him over. And mm-hmm. so maybe he wasn't as demanding. Now, it seems like the guy from last year, they ended up going to Penn State. Can't think of his name right now. John Scott Jr., is that his name? Sure. It seems like he actually. <laughs> I'm not good. I know who you're talking about. I'm not the best. It seems player. like he elevated the defensive line play. But by him saying that, it kind of sounds like a, a shot a little bit. But, I mean, also, he's probably noticed throughout this time where he's been preparing like, how much better he's gotten. So he knows if he runs into a good defensive line coach in the NFL, he could probably take his game to the top. One of the yeah, better so, ones. I mean, he's got all the fundamentals like of a good NFL interior. I'm pretty sure one of the better defensive line coaches in the NFL is your uh, guy from the Raiders. I can't think of his name right now, but also the one of the best ones in college is just for just to know is the guy at uh, Ohio State. He right, gets a lot of great move, ones. Yeah, before we move on quickly, uh, I want to say this. I saw Kendall tweet this. Josh Kendall from the Athletic the other day tweet this that Mike Bobo saying the offense is going to be more run under center, which is I mean what to expect out of a Mike offense, uh, Mike Bobo offense, more pro style. Um, it'll be interesting that that certainly changes the quarterback landscape a lot because now you have to have Holinsky who probably hasn't taken too many snaps ever under center, try to do that. Like it, it sets him back basically to year one. Like the only thing that's different is he's been in SEC stadiums. Yeah. Like that's the only thing that's different. So I think it. Adding that profile, I don't, I don't know if we talked about this when Bobo got announced, but from the quarterback position, you were like, you could, Walensky may never see the field ever again. Like, we, I just want to say, like, we have no clue what's going to happen in spring ball and fall camp before we get to the end of August and we see who takes the field. Uh, my guess would that it would be Holinsky. Um, if Mo, if, Muschamp has to say it'll be Helensky because he is he will let his loyalty kill him. Uh, but I don't know. It, it's going to be a different look from South Carolina, which they need because what they've had has not been working. Yeah. So and they need to try different things. And when you brought Mike Bobo in, like pro style offense is what you can expect. So do you like? Uh, so do you? Would you prefer the pro style offense for? Uh, I don't really care. Like they're both fun to watch. Like I don't. South Carolina's offense, you, the only thing I would say is this offensive line it, it needs to get extremely better if you're going to start taking snaps yeah. <laughs> and you're going to start running play action. Like, I love watching more of a pro-style offense because I think it's kind of how, like, it's kind of the perfect, like, rounded football offense. Like, right, you're going to run the ball a little, you're going to throw the ball a little, mix into play action. You're going to, you know, you might spread it around. You might not. Like, you might just throw slants all game and keep it up the middle. Or you might run between the – but your offensive line, like – even more so becomes the very focal point of your offense. And if the offensive line is even a little bit close to average, you're looking at like two and ten. 
Yeah, because like six and six. Yeah, because the whole pro style thing is built on running the ball to open it up. And so if yep. you cannot push, uh, can I emphasize this enough? If you cannot push around Appalachian State. If you play in the SEC, you're gonna have some serious problem trying to move those big guys. Yep. So definitely something to watch for. That's crazy. Like we're just back, like you saying, back to square one with that. We gotta get back to square one to figure out how we're gonna move people off the line of scrimmage and find a center to do so. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the offensive line. I'm telling you, if the offensive line is. If there are any question marks about this offensive line at South Carolina going into the month of August, you will be looking at four and eight at absolute best. <laughs> like it's just, it is going to be a disaster. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, the offensive line has been a problem for I don't know forever. Like yeah. there was a few good offensive lines when we had Connor Shaw uh, here in Columbia, and I mean even Dylan Thompson's offensive line was pretty good. The end of Steven Garcia's offensive line was pretty good. Like it, it's you know there's quite a few guys. AJ can come out of that. Uh, Kind of came, we came a little after that era. Like, there's a few pro guys that came out of that era, and you need some of those guys to have a unit that can win you games. Um, we'll move on quickly to this NCAA one time transfer. Well, I don't think we talked about this yet. I know. No, I mean, I, I think we know. mentioned it off air, but uh, so now the NCAA is proposing that they're going to allow college athletes of all sports a one time transfer rule. You can transfer one time to any school of your choice, and you do not have to sit out. Uh, Has it like, been approved yet? Or it's no, it's not been approved. I think I think it's going to get approved. Um, you know, like, there is no way that it's not going to get approved. Like, the NCAA needs people to put some faith in them. Um, so we'll see. But I like, I like it. There's going to be some problems created by it because now it's basically free agency. <laughs> free agency yeah. It is. Like, there's no other way to say that. But. Um, and you only have four years. So I think that's the real problem is four years is you have four years of eligibility. Like, you don't want to waste a second sitting behind someone. And it's hard to tell a kid, like, at 18, like, all right, well, you can come here. And how it used to be is, like, you're here, so you're staying here. And if you play or if you don't, like, if you don't get the chance to play, like, you'll just be uh, an insurance salesman in your hometown who can throw a photo up on his office wall of you wearing, you know, an Auburn uniform um, back in the day and maybe seeing the field like 10 times in your whole career. Uh, like that is – That ain't cutting that kind, that kind of stuff's not cutting it, it which is good for players. Yeah. Uh, it's very player-friendly, um, and I can't argue with that. But the thing that shocked me was I was reading an article about this. More than one-third of college students transfer at some point, like college students in general, and some point in their college career – you can't punish someone for transferring and just being a regular person. Like that that's my that's my thing with it. like this whole thing that the NCAA's been doing where they've been granting waivers based on like, you know, health hardship issues or whatever. Yeah, hardship hardship, that's right. Like that's kind of BS because it's so subjective. Um and to a lot a lot of times to fans it looks completely objective. And the NCAA sees it as subjective, like, well, this kid's grandpa is dying, but like like, should we allow him to go to Iowa? Which yeah, is that was a real thing. I think the, the guy was from Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he went to Virginia, then he transferred back to Iowa, didn't get to play his first year. Next year, he wouldn't have been able to play at Iowa or Illinois. Uh, he just moved back to be closer to his family, and his grandpa's sick. Grandpa dies, like, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. Never going to get to see him play a college football game. I'm sure that kid wishes, you know, he could have got to see, like, that. they could have shared that moment together. Um like, and it's just things like that need to be cut out, and this is a step in the right direction for 
for those kind of things. But free agency being wide open now, that's gonna it's gonna be crazy. Yeah. So and it'll be at every school, and I'm sure there will be a lot of legal things going on within this. Uh, and that'll be the next ten years, fifteen years of NCAA violations will probably surround. Uh, transfers. I actually heard something that made a lot of sense. Uh, Nick Saban was saying, I can hardly ma- manage my roster now. So if this happens, it's like all bets are off. There is no roster yep. management because at some point, coaches can like literally go and re- like they'll go to your camp, not literally go to your campus, but they'll be like recruiting off of your campuses. Exactly. It's like you're not even going to play there. They throw it out to your depth uh, about, they throw at you the depth chart, like look at the possibility you can come to my school and guys will end up transferring with no penalty. Yeah, the recruiting part is going to be weird because now you're going to have people whispering and, you know, um, Brian, take, we'll, we'll say, we'll use Brian Edwards. Uh, or even better, Orchard Smith didn't play a lot this year, had a little bit of injury, didn't get the ball a lot when he was on the field. Uh, Kirby Smart comes up to Orchard Smith and whispers in his ear while he's sitting in 650 Lincoln. Uh, his apartment, you know, that the school gives him a stipend for to play, to, to pay uh, his living rent or whatever, yeah. his living expenses. And he, Kirby shows up there at his, at his <laughs> home, like in Will Muschamp's front yard. Yeah. And just says, hey, why don't you come play at Georgia? Like, you don't need this crap here. We'll play. So, like, that part of it is going to have to be worked out because you can't have coaches recruiting players from other coaches campuses that's absurd to me and then no sitting out either and so it's like you play right away i also like i mean we talked about it a couple weeks ago the rule of virginia tech justin fuente said if you put your name in the transfer portal you're done you can't go back i wouldn't hate seeing the ncaa come out and say that like hey you can transfer and you can leave but you need to declare you're transferring before you ever have any contact with anyone else um so you kind of get rid of that poaching on campuses and if you put your name in the transfer portal, you got to go somewhere. So if you, you know, that makes it to me, that makes it like a really big decision that you have to think about. And it's something that you really want to do or think you need to do if you do it, which, which would make more sense to me. Like there are some, that kind of sucks for the player a little bit. Like it's not completely player side. It's a lot better than what you've been getting, I've, but it kind of protects you in a lot of ways that if you just let them have free agency, like you wouldn't be protected as much. Okay, one thing to think about that I've noticed that it keeps popping up with Justin Fields and Joe Burrow both playing in the college ball playoff, both of which being a transfer, that was a big deal. Because oh, now yeah, anytime really, you well, see well, it, they point to Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and Jalen Hurts. It's like they point to it. It's like, look, look at what y'all we were just witnessing. Isn't college football better like this? And so that really helped the whole transfer thing. That really helped that approach. Absolutely. Um, all right, uh, going on from that, South Carolina basketball, Georgia. Like, play Georgia Wednesday. Beat him in overtime. So swept Georgia for the season in, in the school year for they got football and basketball. Um and I'm sure the women's basketball team crushed Georgia's yeah. women too. Like they're just crushing everybody. To a pool. Uh yeah. And now you like it took him to overtime Wednesday. Rough game at the end. Kinda of all over the place. I I thought Kuznard kind of what was it at the end of the game, how many seconds do they have left when Kuznard kind of what was it like eight? It's seven. Seven seconds, yeah. Kuzan, like, kind of just fumbles the ball, and Kotsar rips it back out of uh, Georgia players' hands, but he's standing on the out-of-bounds line. Like, Kotsar did what he could. He just was out-of-bounds. Just a weird ending. Anyway, I thought they were going to blow it for sure. But somehow, if you're South Carolina, you were still maintaining on the bubble, right? I looked up uh, Bracketology this morning. I was reading some of Jelinardi's stuff. I was reading some other kind of stuff. One of the basketball guys, ESPN's guy. 
Southern Nevada's net ranking is 60, or in the 60s. So they basically need to win. Like, they will get surpassed by some team who's right there with them. You need to win out and have a good, like a solid in SEC tournament appearance to move on to the NCAA appearance. Or, like, they will be in the NIT, I think, no matter what, pretty much at this point. Like, even if they finish the season 500 from here on out, like, they'll be in the NIT. That's not what you want, though. Yeah, I just... aim for NIT. Yeah, I just don't... I remember for a while that South Carolina just kept winning NIT championships. Yeah, they won back-to-back NIT championships in the early 2000s. And it's, like, as good as those banners look, it's, like, that's not it, Chief. But regardless of that... You're the 69th best team in the country... Because you get 68 teams in the tournament now. Yeah, it's like, so here's your trophy. But, yeah, I don't think South Carolina. And it's like, even if they get it, they're going to be kicked out right away. Like, we struggle to beat Georgia. Like, I, I, it's just not hitting on it. Maybe next year. Look forward to seeing seventh. Woods yeah, who was, uh, what's his name, Anthony Davis? Is that right? No, Jesus Christ, that's bad. Anthony Edwards. <laughs> Anthony Edwards. Uh, yeah, at 30, 35, right? Yeah, he did. That? I saw he had a high yeah. point game right there. South Carolina had a 91-86 lead with 22 seconds left. I, um... I thought, like, when you were referring to the time, I thought you were talking about, like, right before overtime because we had seven seconds left to draw up the play, and Kuznar pulled up from almost half. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, four they, seconds left. Yeah, seven seconds they inbound the ball. Like, they basically – it looks like they run <laughs> the same play that worked against Kentucky, yeah. and Kuznar just looked to be a freshman who had it set in his mind, I'm going to pull up from here because I've already done this once and it worked and I was the hero. Instead of just making a smart decision and charging the basket, yeah, and like taking a high percentage shot, just pulled up nearly from the logo. It reminds me of it like wasn't even close. Like it reminds me of the kid who like jumps off the building, like so I think I can fly, and then like he goes, he runs, he does, he just like falls down. Basically, <laughs> he, it was it was a tough, it was a freshman bonehead decision. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure Frank is destroying him today for it, or Thursday, yesterday, as you're listening to this. Just destroying him for it. Yeah, he had to, Frank had to be livid. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just a bonehead decision that Frank Martin is... That, that like, is the perfect thing that would piss him off to no end. Yeah, I, I can see that, too. It's like, and then they go through it on film. It's like, what are you thinking here? And it's always funny because in those moments, you ever been in a film room, the guy usually never knows. No. It's kind of like, or he comes up with, like, uh, an excuse, and the first, I don't want to hear it. And, and he it's the funniest thing. He gave Georgia a shot. Like, he gave Georgia had the last shot in regulation. When South Carolina had the ball with seven seconds, like that never should have happened. That like, is you, they should You should, with seven seconds left, like, and you're tied, you should have the ball left if you're inbounding. Like, you should be taking the last shot, and that wasn't the case. And that's just crazy. We got to get somebody in here who was on the sideline or that was in the locker room after the game. I don't care if it's the equipment manager. Yeah, we got to get somebody because I want to hear the story. Conversation. Um, all right. What? Yeah, I mean – also, like, after he took that shot, I thought the Gamecocks definitely deserved to lose that game. Yeah. <laughs> and then on a side note, Keyshawn Bryant had a monster stunt. Oh, he did have a monster. Do, did you see what number he was on SC Top 10? I know he was on SportsCenter Top yeah, 10 today. Yeah, so, I haven't seen it. But I, yeah, I don't know what, what number he was on SportsCenter Top 10, but that was a massive dunk. And I was telling you, like, I feel like the like past couple games we've had, like, every game there's a big dunk from Bryant. Like, he's had, uh, he's probably had eight or nine big dunks yeah. this year. Like he's massive. Crazy, he's a crazy athletic. He just needs to learn how to shoot the ball. Yeah, I mean <laughs> a little bit of like a different skill set, like add or an added skill set. Oh like, yeah, that's that was a dunk. massive dunk. Yeah, he but, just he kind of. I don't like adds... Brendan's a huge dunk guy. I would rather see you pull up from the logo and nail it. Like every I'll take pulling up from the logo ten times out of ten. <laughs> that was like it was massive. That was amazing. I think he's a key player too. Like 
just from like, emotional a wise like, standpoint because he just brings that flair every yeah. game. And yep. We need that because we really haven't had that. Yep. You know, he brings energy. Yeah, he brings that energy we need. All right, let's talk about uh, for a second. I know the two of you watched this. I didn't really. I went to bed, and I'm not a big NBA guy to begin with. But LeBron Zion faced off for the first time the other night. What were your thoughts? All right, well, let's go ahead and get the background. LeBron had a season-high 40 points in the first matchup, uh, well, in the matchup against Zion Williamson, who had 29. Uh, LeBron, yeah. And uh, Lakers wanted the final score of 118 to 109. I kept hearing a lot of people say, like, this is like Kobe MJ. And, like, I yeah, feel I've it. Yeah, I've seen that about 55 times. I feel it. I just don't want to call yeah, it I that. it's different, though, because it's not, like, it's not Kobe MJ. It's LeBron and Zion. Like, give them, like, their own kind of thing. Yeah, I kind of want to let that one happen. It was also interesting. As Zion, like, Zion, Zion, how you say it? Like, the amount of power and explosiveness he does with, like, every dunk. Like, I can see why they say the weight could potentially be an issue because it's, like, it's not even the fact that he can't move it. Like, that's not an issue at all. It's just, like, it's, like, a large portion of that to be, like, to carry for 82 games throughout the season. Yeah. With all that explosiveness, that could cause some problems. What you thought about it, Brendan? I thought it was a great game. I mean, obviously, like, seeing Zion go against LeBron, like, we're probably going to see that for the next couple of years. It's going to be talked about a lot. Um, it's interesting to see that, like, comparing LeBron James's rookie season stats to Zion's. Um, Zion's averaging 22.8 points a game, seven rebounds a game, and shooting 58% from the field. Um, LeBron, in his rookie year, uh, averaged 20 point nine points a game, five point five rebounds and forty one percent yeah the field. And he won rookie of the year that season. I mean I it's mean, different it's different because didn't Zion didn't LeBron play the whole season. Yeah LeBron played yeah. the whole season. Zion didn't, which is I mean, it's interesting, but the way he he's really productive. Like he's he's producing on the on the court, you know. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. And I was thinking, it's like LeBron is literally like probably one of the few people that can actually understand what he's coming through. Yeah. Now, obviously, he did have that whole injury thing, which is a little bit different. But as far as the pressure and being able to perform, but yeah, those stats are very identical. So that's definitely something to watch for. Yeah, and I like we've been watching a lot of first take and get up. I mean, Tyler and I watch that every day. Um, but I have a question for you, Matthew. If you were to start like a team, um. With a young player right now, who would you choose, Zion or Luca? Mm. Who would you want to lead you for the next 10, 15 years? Oh. I'm going to take Zion. Yeah? Yeah, I'm going to take him. Actually, if I was going to choose any player in the league, I'd probably take Ja. But uh, okay. as far as the young players, but yeah, I'd take Zion. It's yeah. just something about his game that really gets me going. I think it's very fan. I think analytically that's definitely the wrong answer. But it's just like I see the explosiveness and the fans and stuff like that, and it's like he really brings that with him. Yeah, the only thing like you worry about with Zion is his weight and like if he can stay healthy. Yeah. That's the thing. That's and like – He's not going to be the guy to like you give the ball to to make the game winning shot or you know and Luca Luca is and also Luca's the guy to get 10 12 assists a game. Too. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. So it's like specifically from like a fan's perspective. Yeah, yeah, because if you actually look at like the the the, the game, the way their games are structured and stuff like that, it's like that way is a lot more uh sustainable. Yeah, it's a really good like debate to have because there's so many young players right now that are just balling. Yeah. Guys all over. You go down to Atlanta, you can go to Memphis, yeah. you can go to Dallas, you go wherever you're going, you can see a lot of young players. Boston, Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. Yeah. What a guy. I mean, that Celtics-Lakers game on Sunday was really good. How many points did Tatum have? Tatum had, I think, 40, 41. I think it's out of the day, 41 41. 41. 
It's amazing. Yeah. Great games. Man. I saw his last five games. He's like all – I think one game he had 29 points. Everything else yeah. is 30 plus. He needed Kyrie to get out the way. Yeah. Like he, that was so important to his yeah, career. Yeah, no, it's huge for Kyrie to get out of there. And like when you get pushed out of Boston, like that's that's big. Yeah. You know? that's, yeah. It's a black yeah. mark on your career. Yeah, yeah. It, well, yeah, I mean because they're going to – Boston fans are going to hate you forever. Yeah. Also, so. side note, like I don't know if you saw like Jason Tatum when he was like 10 years old or whatever. He sent out that tweet. Like to LeBron, yeah. A picture of him. Oh, and I did LeBron. see that. Yeah, and he was like just saying how he's his idol and all this stuff. And then it was just funny to see like him play so well against LeBron and how much respect LeBron has for him nowadays. You know? it's, it's always interesting that you're starting to see this. Maybe it's always been like this, just now. Like we're currently in like the whole climate or whatever. But it's like whenever a player grew up admiring this guy and now he's playing alongside him. And usually that's one thing like the rookie versus the older age guy. But like these guys are actually competitive with one another. Right. You hear a lot of players say stuff like you have to get out your fanboy in a hurry. Mm-hmm. I think Steven Jackson said somebody got punched him in the face and told him, look, I'm, I'm not like what did he say? One of his teammates was like stop being his fan. Like play the game. But you start to see that a lot. And it's like wow, these guys not only are like sunning him, but it's like now it's like we're competitive. Yeah, I used Who's, to like you now. It's like, like on Joakim uh, and uh, yeah, pardon my take, Joakim. Yeah, they interviewed uh, Joakim Noah. And, uh, pardon my Kevin take. He was talking about KG. Yeah, and KG was just like like I don't remember what KG said to him, but it was he something like. Said, like, yeah, basically. Like, like, we're playing right now. Yeah. yeah. Shut up. Well, it was yeah. like idols into your rivals. Yep. Yeah. All right, so what was the other? Oh, did you watch the DUA doc? Oh, my goodness, did I watch that documentary. Damn. That was one of the better ones. I would advise, it, it really breaks down his life. Like, I think he has a book, which I probably will end up reading. But it's like it really shows you, like, every step from even when he was at Marquette where he couldn't even play his freshman mm-hmm. year because of the academic things. And then um, he had a child during that time. So not only is he not playing, but he has a child and he can't go to the league because he's not even getting into the That's games. oldest kid? Yeah, Zaire. Zaire. Okay. Zaire. And so he just talks about the whole thing with Gabriel Definitely advise you to go watch that. Uh, I haven't seen too much buzz on it on Twitter. I really like haven't either. I thought there would be a lot more because this was a big – I saw they took like 10 years to film it. Really good job, looks like, production-wise. So yeah, so definitely – Brandon and I have it recorded. We just haven't watched it yet. Y'all need to go watch that tonight. That was an excellent – Like, and obviously it talks about basketball, but it gets into his personal life, which is also quite interesting. Yep. All right, well, we're running we're, – we're almost out of time here, but – I'm not gonna end. I'm not gonna end this today without talking about my guy Tim Tebow. Tebow. Uh, so as long as Tebow keeps doing good, we'll have a Tebow update every just every <laughs> every Thursday at minimum, maybe Sundays too. Uh, Tebow hits a home run the other day. Um, I I think I, I probably retweeted the video. I know I quote tweeted the one from the MLB because it came out eight hours after he hit the home run. Yeah, hey, you had a spill like, about I'm, that one. Like that's so crappy because. Now I see Tebow hit a home run. I'm like, oh, crap, didn't know the Mets were playing right now. Didn't know Tebow was in the lineup today. Let me go turn on the game. Oh, the game happened nine hours ago, and it's over. So now I can't watch it because it took you all day to tweet out the official video versus just letting fans, like, tweet out the video from the stream. And, like, I mean, if that – if this, like, I like it's just easy to relate it to basketball because they do the best job with it. Like, John Morant has huge dunk, and you're sitting on your couch – and you're on Twitter, and you're watching, I don't know, Shark Tank, um, and, like, you see that on Twitter, you're like, oh, crap, didn't know the Grizzlies were playing right now. Let me turn that on and watch the rest of the game yeah. because he's playing. Like, I would have easily done with that with T-Ball. I just wasn't thinking about watching Mets spring training ball <laughs> on, a, on a Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever day it was, and, like, I see that. I see that on my Twitter feed. Like, I'm constantly on Twitter or whatever. Like, I see that. I'm like, I'm turning it on. You're getting eyes to your sport. 
not only that, most of the games aren't even broadcast. Like the Red Sox are playing today as we're recording. They're playing on Thursday. You can't go watch the game anywhere because it's not broadcast, which is nuts. And I get (laughs) spring training and it's like preseason football, but like just throw it on some channel. Like, I mean, it's just, it's so annoying. And the baseball package to buy all the games is crazy town expensive. <laughs> like, just how much way is, too like, much. How much in the ballpark? For all, like, for you to watch any game in the MLB, including, like, including the ones you have to pay for that they black out because since I'm in, since we live in Columbia, right, any Braves game, if I buy the MLB package, I can't watch on the Braves, like, on through my MLB.tv app. I have to go to Fox Sports and watch it. Instead of, like, so they'll black that out for me. It's $160 for the season. Which, when you think about it, it's like a dollar game for your team to watch every game. And I think you can buy your personal team for just like 100 bucks. I don't know what that noise was. Please just disregard <laughs> all the stuff happening here in the studio. Someone's screaming in the background. But anyway. It sounds crazy if you listen to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like it's just so annoying that I can't. Like, I can't watch games even if I want to watch games because they're not on TV. Like, they're nowhere. Like, what? It is 2020. Someone just take out your <laughs> iPhone and periscope it. Like, <laughs> and it's so funny because a couple things here. One, baseball is a perfect example of out of sight, out of mind. Second of all, let's say you're with your granddad and then he's trying to get you, like, his grandson to start playing baseball. He can't even pull it up to watch it. So it's like, I'm definitely not. But, hey, you can go. You can bet your last dollar. You can go on Twitter. And you can go see a, a, Zion dunk, a Zion dunk or whatever. And it's like, okay, let's go shoot baskets. Yeah, and, and there's, I mean, there is a thing of, like, now I think a lot of the criticism of NBA fans are that there's no fans of teams anymore. Nope, players. It's, it's players. And the reason for that is because everything's not local anymore. Like, you can just hop on you know, NBA TV or whatever, uh, whatever it's called, NBA Live. And you can watch, like, your favorite players, like the kids you saw in college, like the Zions, right? If you are from, um, like, you're from Atlanta, but you watch, Duke, like, you like watching Duke basketball because they always have the best players every year in college basketball. Now you want to watch Zion New Orleans. Like, you're not really keeping up with the Hawks as much because you're watching Zion play in New Orleans or you're watching John Morant play in, in Memphis. Like, so those things kind of spread out. In baseball, the one thing that's kept them local is – you can't. It's hard to watch the games anywhere else unless you live in the region that those teams exist. But I also think, like, are you gonna die on a local? Like, it's the hill you choose to die on if you're the MLB, a local fan base, because that's just very stupid one to die on. Like, you should, you should be encouraging people, younger kids, to follow the game in whatever way they want to. Like for me, like I'm always gonna be a Red Sox fan. It doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. Like who plays? Like yeah, I have like Brock Holt is going to the Brewers, and he just left the Red Sox. So I'll watch the Brewers get this year probably. And, and Justin Smokes there, my favorite athlete of all time, played here at South Carolina uh, for, for a few years. And he's going there. So now I'll watch the Brewers, but I'm still going to be a Red Sox fan. Like, you just need to get more eyes on your sport. It's annoying. Anyway, oh, hold on, Brendan got one thing Question, said. yeah. Does, like, going off the television, like, airing the games and everything, does that, like, have any, does the commissioner have any impact on that? Yeah, yeah, do, like direct impact. So yeah. like it's, it's. I mean, all these TV do- deals are signed like with. All right, we'll use Atlanta because we've just been using them. So they broadcast their games on Fox Sports South. It might be Fox Sports Southeast now. It used to be Fox Sports South, uh, and, and they started that through. They used to be on uh, TBS, I think, with Turner. That's when I used to watch yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So that but now they're on Fox Sports South, right? So the Braves sign a deal with Fox Sports South. And they're saying, you're going to pay us lots of money, Fox Sports South is, to broadcast our games. And in turn, you're going to get all these people watching our team. 
and you're going to make ad revenue off of that because you can sell ads because you can say, hey, I got 85 billion people watching this game tonight. You buy an ad, like that's how the TV companies are going to make money. But now when you put that online, it undermines that because now I can just go watch it online and instead of a consumer watching it through Fox Sports and that advertisement that they sold, advertisers are going to get pissed because the people you promise them that are watching aren't watching on your network and now my ad is not getting to nearly as many people. And the problem is that TV networks are going to lose money and you're gonna, they've got to find a way to rework that because now uh, a 10-year-old kid who's a Braves fan in Atlanta, instead of watching on Fox Sports South on his cable channel, that he got his dad to buy him on their DirecTV package. Like, I don't have to buy that DirecTV package, and I don't have to watch your ads on uh, Fox Sports. Like, so you're missing out. If you're Fox Sports, you're missing out right there on people buying your cable package, the one that you're in, and subscribing to your channel, and you're missing people paying you advertising money because you're not getting as many eyeballs on your channel. So baseball has taken the wrong approach, and they've supported that system because they're like, they don't, they haven't figured out a way around it, uh, because they don't use their brains. Like they don't think out of the box <laughs> basically is what it comes down to. So like, you can suffer some, some TV ratings and you can say like, screw these networks. Like we're going to go do it ourselves if you're the MLB and we'll sell the ads and we'll make all the money. Like who cares? Like, and all of those, yeah, there'll be some jobs destroyed there, but the MLB is still going to need people broadcast their games. So you just take what you have on Fox Sports South, put them on the MLB network. Boom. There you go. Like, it sounds really simple, and it's a lot more into it than that, but, like, it's just, it's tough. It's aggravating. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Adam Silver, Adam Silver and uh, Rob Manfred need to... Yeah, I mean, well, Adam Silver needs down. to beat Rob Manfred over the head with a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. And just, like, I I can't, like, he could not be ha- having a worse offseason. Like, I don't think any... Bud Selig looks like a genius compared to, to him right now. <laughs> Bud Selig is probably the worst... Base, uh, commissioner yeah. in any sport of all time. It just doesn't make sense to me because baseball viewership is just declining and declining. Crazy, like every crazy year. And, and you like, have, but the thing is, like the young stars are becoming so much more popular and noticeable and likable. Like Javier Baez is one of the most electric players to watch in all of baseball, and he's not from the U.S. Like he's from Latin America. You can get those kids to watch his games on the internet. But you, you'll block them out because they can't like, and they and they frankly they can't afford it. Like, if you just give your product away, like if you make it affordable up front and you make it easy to watch, you're gonna make so much money on the back end. If you're a professional sport, then it won't matter. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Different ways they look to approach it. Alex yeah. Rodriguez, actually on the court, talked about ways that he would look uh, to change how baseball is like seen and stuff by people. So go check that out. What was you gonna say? Yeah, I just think like baseball, like they just need to get with today's age. Yeah, the like problem is we're living stuck, in 1990. Yeah, they're living yeah. in the past and like today is a new age. Twitter, social media, everything. Like you need to have those clips on immediately. Like the thing is if you're Rob Manfred for me, I, I just don't understand this. I get you being old and not getting it, like not understanding what's going on, but you should be able to look at the NBA and say, all right, well, I'm sure that a lot of the older people like in their league offices didn't get what they were doing but it works. They're open to it. It yeah. works. So, like, if something works business-minded, like, you should at least give it a shot. And usually, that's just, that's the thing. That usually, like, the billionaires and millionaires, those are the people who really understand that concept. It's like... Dude, uh, they're just, they're so tied up and, like, they're all just stuffy and, like, they want to be old and they want things to be the way they were 50 years ago. And it's just not how things are now. Like, baseball holds on to what happened 50 years ago. And I love baseball history. I think most fans of baseball, like 
more than any other sport, I would say if you're a fan of baseball, you're a fan of baseball history, you're a fan of football, that's not necessarily true, or a fan of basketball, you don't, I think true baseball fans, if, like, if you take a diehard from each sport, baseball are more connected with the history of the sport than anything else, but, like, instead of holding on to that, keep progressing and keep making new when we're trying to make what happened, you know, the things that work and Ted Williams was playing in the 40s happen in 2020, and that's just not how things should go. Like, you have to progress. That's It's aggravating. But back to what we were starting, I do want to, I want to mention this before we get out of here because we're running long already. Are you still saying Tebow or are you Tebow. off? Tebow. Yeah. It's a home run Tuesday, right, off of Tigers reliever Alex Wilson. So not just some bum. Alex Wilson, yeah, I know that's going to be the first comment from Tebow haters. Like, oh, it's some minor league pitcher. He sucks anyway. Alex Wilson, like, has a decent, like, career going. Like, he's not, you know, uh, he's not Jonathan Papelbon in 2007. But he didn't, he had, I looked him up today, a little baseball reference, a little, little research. 26 appearances for the 2013 World Series champion Boston Red Sox. Oh, wow. So uh, he made 26 appearances for him that year. Career ERA in the majors under three and a half. He's bounced around in and out of the majors and in majors and triple A, just going around. Um, but yeah, so Tebow hits a bomb off of him, which is cool. Um, uh, two run homer, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, just he hit a tank off of him, too. Yeah. Like, it wasn't just a baby, like, pokey, like, get, barely got off the fence, like, down the right field line. Like, he hit a fucking bomb. He took it out in part. Yeah. Uh, and then he announces Wednesday that he's going to be playing for the Philippines, the country in which he was born. Um, in the World Baseball Classic in 2021. I did not watch the World Baseball Classic a lot in 2017. Uh, frankly, like, there's, I think this is the sixth time they're doing it, seven times, basically like the, like the FIFA World Cup, but for baseball. Um, which is cool for Western countries because, or basically the U.S., because we don't have that international, like, sport thing, uh, as much because we don't really play soccer here. Yeah. Um, so the rest of the world has that, but America really doesn't. And they're kind of trying to do it with baseball. And it, it kind of worked last time around. 2017, it got a lot of buzz. Uh, I still don't care about it that much. But now that Tim Tebow's playing, I can promise you every game the Philippines are playing in, I will be watching. You'll be tuned in? I will absolutely be tuned in. So, like, it's a very good thing for the sport. And I see a lot of people online, like, complaining, like, oh, like, Tebow sucks. Like, why is he playing? Like, why don't, like, I should be playing for the Philippines. Like, he's not even playing for his home country. Like, it, he was born there. That's how it works with a lot of these things and and. Uh, in sport, like you saw, I saw a lot of guys uh, who weren't necessarily from Israel, but who were Jewish, and maybe whose parents can't, or you know, Israel uh, immigrants. Yeah, yeah, Israeli immigrants. They went and played for the uh, team in Israel last time. Like that's kind of how it works. Like you might have to make a stretch to get to that country, but like if you have a connection with it, and Tebow clearly does with the Philippines, it's going to be awesome that he's playing. I hope. I hope. I hope. I hope. The Mets just give him a shot this year at some point and call him up. The Mets may have a decent season, but considering they just got rid of their or they're like getting rid of their manager, they don't know what they're doing. Um, it's probably going to be a disaster anyway. So just call Tebow up in August so you can give me something to watch because the Red Sox are going to stink. If you had um, to bet on it, you think they bring him up at least? No, absolutely not. I don't <laughs> think I don't think they're going to do it. Like, I just don't think they have the balls to do it. All right. Well, we're gonna we were gonna talk a little bit about. What's up? You have Wouldn't a that be a good thing for baseball? Yeah, it'd be a great thing. Up. Yeah, why the hell not? Yeah, I mean, I get like not doing it because you're protecting all the players to right. work their asses off and <laughs> don't get the shot, <laughs> and you just give it to Tebow. Like, I completely understand that, but like, as a, just a baseball fan and a Tebow fan, I, I like I want to see that. Like, the, honestly, the Mets are gonna suck. So, like, just call him up for one yeah. week in August, wow. have him have him play his heart out, and if he's you know he's probably not gonna be, um, he, he's not gonna be the next Hank Aaron. 
And then you can just send them back down and keep letting them do it. Will you go to New York if this happens? Uh, If I have the money to go to New York and go to Tim Tebow's debut in City Field, like, I will go. If he is in Atlanta, if they happen to make that debut in Atlanta, which would be smart, by the way, because they would get a lot of fans in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be smart for the Mets, but the Braves would be selling the tickets. Like, a lot of people in this area would go. Like, you were literally putting Tebow back in, like, the heart of – you know his his fan base. You get a lot of Florida fans. Yeah, I'm gonna say Florida and all this, and even and in even South Carolina, he's right with the Fireflies. Yep. And because uh, they were saying whenever he was at Denver, they used to have like whole church buses that used to show up to training dude, camp. Just yeah. that dude's following is absolutely insane. Yeah. All right. Well, we were gonna talk about South Carolina baseball rivalry this weekend, but we we're running long, so I'll just mention this: South Carolina. There's your measuring stick. I think we talked about it a little bit on Monday's show, like. You will know how good your baseball team is if you're a South Carolina fan or a Clemson fan um, on Monday or Sunday afternoon. Like, you've got a lot, and we'll talk about it on Monday. Like, there, there, a lot rests on this series, and it does, you know, every year. Greatest, greatest rivalry in all of college baseball. Um, I will, there may be a few arguments out there that I would hear. Ole Miss, Mississippi State is really good, uh, but I would consider this one the best. Um, and, it has, a, it has more championships than Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Um, and, and it's a really good, good rivalry. Three great games this weekend. But I also wanted to mention the Arizona Diamondbacks. Christian Walker is playing for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Christian Walker, if you don't remember, was the first baseman on the 2010 National Championship team, the 2011 National Championship team here at South Carolina, and the 2012 runner-up team. And then he went on, he got drafted by the Orioles, and he left uh, school to go play ball. The Arizona Diamondbacks did a cool little piece on him on their Instagram. It's like 10 minutes long. Uh, I figured I'd share that with Gamecock fans. It was really cool to watch. And they kind of take you through the South Carolina baseball facility and talk about Christian Walker for a minute. So two things I got real quick. So Segra Park, do you think that's kind of cool how a lot of times awesome. this game was played in Greenville, awesome. so now it's Segra? Yeah, so it used to be they played – well, it used to be they just played like four random Tuesday or Wednesdays in the year. That sucked. They finally came together and said, hey, let's do a series, which is cool. A lot of uh, out-of-conference rivalries don't have that. It's a good. It's a good thing to do. Um, we'll sacrifice one of our basically startup series against some trash school for this series because we think it's important. So, kudos to both schools. Then they started like, all right, we'll play Saturday at a neutral site. We'll play it at Fuller Field. Well, South, the complaints from South Carolina fans is like Fuller Field, Greenville is basically a home game for Clemson. Yeah, yeah. So now you get it, and and now it's going to switch. So Saturday this year is Segar Park here in Columbia. And then it'll go back to Greenville next year. And then it'll just keep switching on the Saturday game because Friday they'll play in Columbia. Sunday they'll play in Clemson. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really, really good thing for both schools. Yeah, it's like a semi-neutral site for both. Yep. And I thought it was funny. Right after you finished recording, I was checking, watching the USC. I wasn't watching it, but I was following it. The USC Northwestern uh, baseball game. And yep. how USC, oh, yeah, they lost. It was yeah, like, you can, we cannot, not that we cannot, but it definitely would be not be a good site for us to lose the Northwestern and sure enough, we lose. And they did. <laughs> All right. Well, we will see you. Thanks for listening. Uh, we will see you on Monday. Uh, make sure you're following the show on Twitter and Instagram at the lead underscore block. Um, follow Matthew at Matt, the chosen one with the number one and myself at Tyler Walter CNR. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify or, you know, subscribe or whatever else on any other app you use. Google Play, Stitcher. Um, and then share it with your friends. And... Hopefully we got some more big things coming for you. Um, But, yeah, thanks for listening, and we will see you on Monday. Peace. This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network.
Garnet Media Group is a partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org.